I, uh, I distinctly uh, remember a time in college. It was one of, um, one of the highlights of my walk with Jesus. I uh, went out for, a, um, uh, to, for some, some time with the Lord, and um, we had a, uh, went to college in Jefferson, T- Jefferson City, Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville. And, uh, and there was a dam about, uh, f- oh, about five miles from our church, about eight miles from where I lived. And so a lot of times, you know, we'd go out there and have a quiet time, different things like that, personal worship, prayer and reading and uh, sometimes singing when, you know, nobody's around to listen and things like that, you know. And we just read the word and sometimes I would do it in my, in my apartment and sometimes um, out there. And uh, one of those times I had what is uh, still today one of the most memorable times of worship with the Lord, certainly of those years. Um, but it sticks with me very much to this day, and it relates very much to the passage we're going to talk about this week and next week. And um, we're going we're gonna to dive into it this week, but this is likely going to be a passage that's going to uh, take us uh, into next week as well. Um, so I want to ask you to open your Bibles, Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We're in chapter 6 this morning, and um, last week we, uh, we read all of the genealogies, this, uh, this uh, table of genealogies in uh, chapter 5. And, uh, and it seems in some ways like chapter 6 is a, I mean, it's a new chapter, but remember chapters and, and verse um, demarcations were added uh, not even that long ago, um, several hundred years ago. And so since the beginning, these verse numbers and chapter numbers were not there. And so uh, there's still quite some similarity between chapter 6 connected to chapter 5. But I want to read to you uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 8 this morning. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any that they chose. And then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, for his days shall be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. And these were the mighty men of old, who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you have the NIV, it says something like, And the Lord saw how great the wickedness of man had become, and that the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Hear those absolutes in there. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created, male, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I got ahead of myself, whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. For Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And I read that that day in my time with the Lord, and I was, I'm telling you, I was bowled over. We read Genesis, and we know that Genesis is, is historic, historic, historical uh, literature, and everything that we read in Genesis is telling us true stories, histories, and names, and dates, and timelines. And so we can get into a mode about reading about the account of God and the account of creation, the account of how God made man and how God made woman, and he put them in the garden, and and then they went their own way. They disobeyed God's command, and they they fell from God's design. They fell from the perfect, unbroken, unhindered fellowship that they had from God. And if we know this history, 
right? If you know this history, you know we're getting up to the to Adam. I'm sorry, Adam to the uh, what's his name? Noah in the ark is coming up here pretty soon. But let's not run too far ahead of ourselves. Let's take a minute and capture what is really happening here. What God is communicating to the Israelites who are getting ready to go in and take take over the land of Canaan, right? Remember, this is why God has has uh, commanded Noah or given Moses the. Uh, I'm getting my names all mixed up, so. If you leave here with any idea of what we talked about, it'll be a gift of God's grace. That's why God led Moses to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to the people of Israel. So they would, they would know who their God is and who created them and why their purpose to live on this earth. To bring glory to God amongst all of the other nations of the world that were ungodly and evil and living against God's will. He wanted them to know you're my people. Walk with me. Be separate. Be separate from those other nations and walk with me. And so in the process, we, we see in the last couple chapters how evil became more and more rampant in the world. And it just spread and spread and spread. And this is sort of a summary verse we can see in, in, in chapter 6, verse 1, when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to him and the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took wives, any that they chose. And you can see verse 7 or verse 3 here. The Lord's starting to get a little fed up with it, to put it mildly. And when I was sitting at that location reading that day about Genesis chapter 6 and I read this phrase that the Lord saw the wickedness of man and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. I did not think about 6,000, 7,000 years ago. I thought about that day in 1995 or 6, in my heart. See, it didn't take me very long to be pierced with that, to realize, that's me. As a believer, following Jesus at that time, not even quite knowing it then, being called into the ministry at that time, God was making me ever so clearly aware that every inclination of the thought of my heart is only evil all the time without the grace of God. I need God's grace to move upon me, as Paul says when he says, we are compelled by Christ's love. We are controlled by the love of Christ to live in the ways that are pleasing to the Lord. And this picture, there's some things here we're going to talk about in a few minutes. We're going to scratch our heads a little bit and, and, and leave possibly with some unresolved conclusions, and that's okay. Because the point that Moses is getting at here is how wickedness has spread throughout the earth. How ungodliness marks the people on the face of the earth. And we need to not try to clean it up. We need to try not to, to dust it off and put a bow on it and say, oh, it's, she's a little used, but she'll run for a while. 
She's been a good car. Like we do with our own lives, with our own sin, the way we describe things, our patterns, our patterns, our habits. Oh, it's not, it's not really that bad. Friends, let's not be afraid of the word wicked. Because when we sin against God, it's wicked. It's wickedness. It's evil. There's not another word for it. Sin. We've become pretty accustomed to that word. Sin begins with compromise, and compromise grieves the heart of God. I jumped ahead of myself. Let me just say my main idea for this morning. that God's heart, as we see here in this passage, is deeply grieved by sin, but through grace, God's purposes endure. God's heart is deeply grieved by sin. That in and of itself is a difficult concept for us to understand. But through God's grace, his purposes endure. And we've seen this many times in the last couple months, that sin begins with compromise, and compromise grieves the heart of God. So here, Moses tells us about the sons of God took the daughters of man as their wives. So who are these sons of God? Well, there are several theories, three or four, depending on, on who you read, but uh, several, several theories. One is uh, sort of royal heroes from the mythical past. In, in mythology, they would have been called titans, or uh, you've heard of Gilgamesh, right? Gilgamesh would have come from this idea. This idea was introduced about 2nd century AD uh, into Jewish uh, uh, study, and uh, in large part, it's out of a conviction that one of the other prominent views, that angels could not indulge in, in intercourse, um, and to suppress some speculation about those perspectives. One, one commentator suggests a combination of angelic and royal interpretations that the sons of God may have been both divine beings and royal rulers. There's another theory. Uh, it's called the Sethite theory and uh, written about uh, in the book of, of, uh, of Enosh a lot. And um, this is one of the most natural-sounding theories that makes sense to us. and uh, avoids this obvious problem about angelic beings coming down and, and having sex with human daughters, or did they inhabit the bodies of others and, and engage in that way? I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult problem uh, to try to understand. It has a weighty support um, by a lot of people. Francis Schaeffer even notes... Uh, there's a constant prohibition against the people of God marrying those who were not the people of God. And if this is the proper interpretation of, of, of Genesis 6, then the point's well taken. In other words, God's people are not to marry those of other nations who are not God's people. Right? Uh, that's a constant theme uh, in God's communication with his people. Even still to this day, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about Christians are not to be unequally yoked with those who are non-Christians, or to marry those who love God, those who have the same life purpose, the same goal to strive and bring glory to God. Otherwise, we're going to be constantly fighting and, and constantly striving. And, and some of you have experienced that. Some of you do experience that even today. And so it, it's a natural view in, in light of the context, which is talking about uh, this line was a godly line as we looked at Cain's line was an ungodly line, for example. And, and Adam's line, which is actually um, carried forward in Seth, is a godly line. And so were these two 
godly and un- ungodly lines, uh, marrying and having daughters and, and, uh, and growing in corruption and different things like that. The, another, probably the oldest, most common theory is the angelic theory, right? The angelic beings intermarrying with humans. The phrase sons of God, it's used really in the Bible, aside from when we know in the context that Paul is talking about God's children, right? We're sons of God in that sense. And we know that he's talking about believers. It's used about a handful of times, six to 10 times uh, in the Bible, depending on what what you're reading. But it's used here in in verse two in chapter four, In the book of Job, in the introduction of Job, Job is saying there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and and Satan also came among them. He's talking about angels there. Angels went to present themselves before the Lord and Satan went also. In other words, to say, hey, let me have your way, my way with uh, Job. That's the the Cliff Notes version, right? Uh, Verse chapter two of Job. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Later in Job, he writes, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So again, we're talking about angels that are, that are uh, ungodly angels that are godly here. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are dancing around in the fire, you remember in Daniel chapter 3, they throw them into the fire, and all of a sudden, right, They look in there and they're like, wait a minute, we put three guys in there. So two questions. One, why are they dancing around? How come they're alive? And two, who's the fourth guy? Remember that? It's referred to as a son of God in that sense. Psalm 29, one, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. That, oh, heavenly beings, is that same concept. Verse 89, 6. Who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Among the heavenly beings is like the Lord. And, and then in the New Testament, Peter refers back to the story of Noah or the time of Noah. And he says in 1 Peter 3, uh, 19 and 20, he talks about when Jesus went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly didn't obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. We have baptismal service coming up in a, a, about a month, July 10th. I just want to encourage you. This is a side bar but if you uh if you are providentially by the lord able to be here i just want to encourage you to be here that day that is going to be a wonderful day of celebration and worship we get to welcome i think about 12 new members into the church and so it's going to be a wonderful wonderful day but i digress in second peter he says uh, for if god did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment and if he did not spare the ancient world but he preserved noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly it's sort of a dot 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 because we're not diving into the passage except to see that he's referring to these spirits these angelic being that disobeyed god Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. So this is where we see that phrase being used in a variety of places um, throughout the Bible. And I'll be honest with you, I I, kind of wrestle between the Sethite view uh, this, the second view that I referred to and the angelic views, right? Some, uh, 
Sometimes we, we read the Bible and we, we, we're learning to study the scriptures. And we read those scriptures that apply to what we're studying. And we kind of scratch our head and we say, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to go with this over here. And we have to caution ourselves against that. It is a healthy place to study applicable scriptures and land with tension when something doesn't entirely make sense. Does it make sense to us that angelic beings would come down? Well, they left their place of authority. They left their dwelling. They were definitely going against the will of God. They were rebels in their own right. And so could they have come down and and gotten with, we'll say, the daughters of man? Well, sure they could have. Sure they could have. It's beyond our understanding, to be sure. What we need to do, though, is we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional to stick with the Word of God. Right? And even those who would acknowledge, and that's where the the Sethite uh, conversation, the Sethite perspective, which is a plausible perspective. In fact, all the perspectives I've mentioned, they're all plausible. They're all biblically plausible. I'm compelled and kind of constrained to this angelic perspective, but I... The Sethite perspective makes sense to me that that Seth and his line would have disobeyed the Lord because we know even though that's the godly line, the line through which Jesus would come, it doesn't mean everybody in that line was was godly. It just means that's predominantly God's chosen line. Right? The Cainite line also does not mean that there were no there were no people in Cain's line who who loved the Lord. So I don't want us to get stuck here too much, but what I do want to try to do is draw out a reality that says what we need to do is do our very, very level best to study Scripture and stick with what we see in Scripture. Let me just back out and make it real practical for you. Am I really to, and I'm going to let you fill in the blank, I want to ask you to ask, what is an area of your Christian obedience in the Lord that you know you wrestle with? I mean, it's just hands down. I mean, you might deny it all day long. You might minimize it. You might blame shift it. You might do all kinds of things. But in your heart of hearts right now, you're getting defensive about it. Well, I don't really wrestle with that. Well, why are you defensive about it? So what is it? What's the area that you know God says this about, but you still choose to live in this way? That is counter to God's word. And what you do is you rationalize it. You explain it away. We need to be a people of the book that say, I want to do my very best to cling closely to the word of God. And as as I see this phrase used throughout the Bible, it just makes sense to me that this angelic perspective makes sense. But I, like I said, I, I feel a little bit torn between these two perspectives. Now, why would I say that to you? I'm supposed to have this thing, this thing figured out. I just want to tell you. Pages and pages, volumes have been written about this topic right now. And I just want to let you see a little bit of my discomfort with it. So I hope that's okay. Whatever your perspective, it does not change the meaning. It does not change the point of application in the text. But sometimes we want to have our theology all neat and tidy 
I want to be in this camp or I want to be in this camp. Sometimes it's good to say, I'm not in a camp. I just want to know the Word of God. I want to study the Word of God. And I want to increasingly learn it with others and maybe help others learn it at some point. Right? Here's the point that Moses is trying to get across, right? There is no such thing as a small compromise when it comes to sin. Compromise leads to terribly ungodly ends. And whether that is Seth and his line leaving God's people in their directions and, and intermarrying with the Cain, Canaanite line, or whether that's angelic beings uh, getting with the daughters of man in terribly ungodly ways and the ladies going along with it. This is just a picture of the depravity of mankind. It's a, the picture of the depravity of everyone who will not submit and honor the Lord. There is a difference between angels and humans, you know. They're not able to repent. We're able to repent. As we think about our life and we think about how God has called us to live, we need to live with integrity. Integrity doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean walking in a real, genuine relationship with the Lord. It means dealing biblically with our sin. When God calls us out on our sin, just acknowledge it. Own it. When Satan tries to shame you, when Satan tries to to push you down, just agree with him and move on and say, boy, that's true. I need to repent of that and get back walking with the Lord. But instead, we feel so bad, we feel so guilty, we feel so ashamed as though we cannot go to God. But friends, God gave his son Jesus for the very express purpose that we can go to him. So acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that you can't work your way to heaven, but you need Jesus. And you'll be made right with God. Sin begins with compromise, and compromise grieves the heart of God. Ephesians 4 gives us a challenge about this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that your sin grieves God? Or do you think that because God knows everything, it's just part of his plan and it's no big deal. It's just part of the master plan and it'll all work out. How do your decisions yesterday grieve the heart of God? This week, last year, We're going to come back to verse 4, but there's another interpretive struggle here. He talks about the Nephilim. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and bore children to them, and these were mighty men of old who were men of renown. This word Nephilim can mean giants. It doesn't necessarily need to mean uh, uh, massive uh, superhuman giants. It probably means just large humans, like those guys can take us. Right when uh, uh, let me go find my text here. Here in Numbers, when the spies went to go uh, spy out the land, they came back to the Israelite camp. Numbers 33, 
They'd seen the Nephilim or giants, and they felt like grasshoppers in comparison to them. This word Nephilim has the idea, or it comes from the root word of to fall upon. And so apparently these are men of violence who had a reputation for falling upon their enemies. I mean, these were people who loved war. You remember when we read about Lamech just a couple uh, weeks ago, when Lamech said, oh, Cain killed so-and-so, but I killed that. Let me read it, because I'm not doing a very good job with it. He says, uh, let me find it. He says to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Brute violence, a readiness to attack enemies and take them down. And Moses' point is that The generation prior to the flood was notorious for its violence. The generation was notorious for their violence. They had sin that was unchecked and had grown into the worst kind of corruption. They'd let themselves go in hardened and open rebellion against God. Where have you let yourself go? You know the expression, we talk about it sometimes, right? Whether we're talking about how we're taking care of ourselves physically or, or uh, any number of things, right? And we're like, oh, I really let myself go. Or is that true in your life related to your sin? It may not be grotesque, massive violence falling upon enemies who are not ready and pouncing on them. But it may be a life of sin. It may be, as, as Jerry Bridges writes, a respectable sin, a sin that has become so culturally acceptable that nobody really pays mind to it. And we go to our small group, our community group, our journey group, our life group, whatever the case might be, and we go and we begin to talk about what's going on in our life and what our struggles are and, and what, are the, what are the prayer requests often? Yeah, I really need to spend more time in the Word. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. I, I really need to pray more. Yeah, I know. When all the while there's rampant sin that's a respectable sin that's in our midst and we've let ourselves go to it. We've become numb. We have become numb to the reality that our sin breaks and grieves God's heart. And verse 5 tells us that he's grieved by sin. Verse 3 is a, a hint to it. When he says, My spirit will not abide in man forever. For he is flesh, and his days will be 120. Genesis 6, 5, And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, only evil all the time. One commentator, Alfred Alfred, uh, Edersheim, says, This means more than the total corruption of our nature, as we should now describe it. And it refers to the universal prevalence of open, daring, sin and rebellion against God brought about when the separation between the Sethites and the Canaanites ceased. It's a description of the extreme corruption of this generation. It's also a description of the corruption of every human heart. Jesus said it in Mark 7 records it. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
For from within, out of the heart of the man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Any of those strike a chord with you? Covetousness, evil thoughts, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, foolish living. Many times it doesn't reach the the outward expression, but it's still an internal struggle within that we still have opportunity to, to grab a hold of. And many times we become very schooled at how to how to manage our sin, how to manage our struggle. And so we keep it internal. But boy, I tell you what, the right situation presents itself. Oh, I'm sorry, I did not mean I didn't mean that. Oh, yes, you did. And it's been under control for a while. And the Lord in his mercy brings situations that shake our foundation and we lose control. We lose grip of what we thought we had control of. Look at our world, friends. We live to suit our own preferences. We live for convenience. If someone tells me that the Bible says that the way I'm choosing to live is wrong, all of a sudden I'm a victim that's been brutally attacked by another's hate speech. This is true of those in the abortion movement. And I want to be really clear that often when we speak about abortion, and I'll never apologize for speaking against abortion, but I also recognize there, there's always more than one way that as a culture we speak about it. We speak about it in one way when we speak about a movement. At the same time, we're always aware that real people have made decisions with which they are forced to live for the rest of their life. And every time we t- speak about the topic... It brings up pain again. But as a movement, if we speak against abortion, we're mean, we're ugly, and we're bigots. But we will. We will stand up for God's truth. We will speak up for what is right because we know it's best for his people. But on the flip side of that same coin, if you have wrestled with that or if you know someone who has there is always a place at the table with Jesus. No decision that you have ever made, no matter how rotten it is or how painful it was or how much you wish you could take it back, will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you need to come to Jesus. You need to bring your pain to Jesus. The LGBTQIA plus movement is the same thing. If you say anything against the way they choose to live their life, all of a sudden you're a bigot. All of a sudden you hate people. Like, I thought I loved people. I'm not perfect at it, but no. And not only if you don't agree, but if you don't celebrate it. Friends, that is where we are at culturally. And it is going to keep going from worse to worse. It's going to keep getting worse. This is a little bit less dramatic, but if we think about things like prioritizing corporate worship. In other words, how many times throughout the course of a year do I just decide 
yeah, I'm not going to go. You know, we got a game or there's a game I want to go to or I got projects to do around the house. It's a little touchy. Start trying to tell people how the Bible tells them to live. Around our culture, we see violence escalating and escalating and escalating. I know I can't touch on any of these topics without becoming a political enemy to anybody. I'm just here to talk about the Word of God, right? I'm here to tell you that there, there is no gun that shoots itself. There is no gun that shoots itself. It requires the evil of a human heart to perform an action. Now, I'm also not saying... There aren't things we can do as a culture to work together. I can't even say it without getting into it, right? I just minds all over the place, but I don't really care. Some of you are going to not like me. Call me. Let's have a conversation about it. But the human heart is the cause each and every time. The human heart is the cause. For the words that slip out of our mouth, no, they're already well embedded in the human heart before they slip out of our mouth. And flowing from all of this sin, the same picture of sin, the same gross ungodliness that was back in the days of Noah when God decided, you know what, I'm going to wipe it out, which we're getting ready to see. The Lord grieves over this sin and flowing from that, his patience begins to wear thin. And we're going to see this very quickly. The Lord says, I won't strive with man forever or my spirit shall not abide with man forever for he's flesh and his days will be 120 years. Listen to this verse. I read it at the beginning and I just want you to almost, I just want you to close your eyes and hear this. I want you to hear a father talking to his child or a father. You know, you might see a father out on a ball field and and this other kid's father is not there, but he grabs his son, he, he grabs another child, and he says, oh, the father saw that the wickedness of man was so great on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And I regretted that I made you on the earth. And it's really grieved me to my heart. Focus on the word intention. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart. Intention. Not, well, it just came upon him. And all of a sudden the thoughts of his heart were evil. No, every intention. Every purpose of the thoughts of man's heart only evil continually and God purposes that he would blot out mankind and that he would start over verse 7 says so the Lord said I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. There's a little bit of a play on the words there from Adam and land and the earth and how that all plays together. But who have I made from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. This is Animals are gone too. For I am sorry that I've made them. God will judge every creature. He's already cursed Adam. He's already 
cursed the ground. He's disciplined Adam. He's disciplined Eve. Did I say he cursed Adam? He cursed the serpent. He cursed the land. And he disciplined Adam and he disciplined Eve. And here he is going to sweepingly judge the world. The world will never be the same. Every creature will be judged. And then one of the best words in the Bible. But. But God. This says, but Noah. But Noah found favor in God's sight. Now I want to be crystal clear here. As you'll see in the coming chapters, Noah is equally deserving of broad sweeping judgment as every other creature on the earth. Noah walked with God, but Noah was imperfect. And every imperfection, every single imperfection deserves this kind of broad sweeping judgment of God. But God in his mercy maintains his purposes. This was known to God before the creation of the world. It was planned by God before the foundation of the world. There is no plan B. God is communicating to us in a way that we can understand. Look, I'm going to make you and I'm going to, I'm going to let you be and watch what you're going to do. And then I'm going to wipe the slate clean again, but I'm going to save a few. Eight. And in this evil generation, Noah is going to take a long time and build a, an ark. A really, really big boat. And through his obedience, I will bring him through the flood. I'm going to save two of every kind. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to save two of every kind. I'm going to bring them. We got a new puppy. And uh, one puppy, pretty tough to catch in our backyard, let me tell you. Could you imagine if God said, hey, Noah, fam, go, go round up two of every animal and bring them to the ark. The Lord's like, no, I got it. I'm going to bring them to you. But they all get in the ark. And God shut them in. Brothers and sisters, do not become humanistic about what is happening here. God is working out a plan that he began before the foundation of the world. And he's going to shut them in. 1 Peter 3 tells us that God, God brought them through the judgment of the flood. It's very similar, in fact, to what happens or what is pictured you know, in baptism. Right in in, in uh, this first century uh, world, the waters of uh, well, water just re re refer to this idea of judgment. Water kills. Water drowns. And so to be plunged into water meant death. And to come back out from it by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
meant life in Christ, life in the Spirit. God's heart is so deeply grieved by sin, but through His grace, His purposes will always endure. We're not here, friends, because of Noah. We're here because of God. Because God had undeserved favor on a man and his family. You might say, why did God have undeserved favor on me? No idea, except for one, God's glory. That God is working everything in the world according to the counsel of his will. I just want to ask if you feel the weight of this. You feel the weight of this rampant evil in our culture that has always been a part of the world since thousands of years ago? Do you feel the weight of your own personal sin, the thoughts of your heart that are only evil all the time, unless you're acted upon by the grace and mercy of God? Jesus felt the weight of this when his soul was very sorrowful, even to to death. And when he prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, not long before his crucifixion. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What are you praying? Lord, let this pass from me, but not as I will, but as you will. Again, he went away and, and he said, it, Lord, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He came back to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He's like, come on, fellas, one hour. And he goes away and he prays a third time saying the same prayer. Friend, grief over sin is wonderful worship. I fear that sometimes, for whatever reason in your own heart that you will know, we're afraid to go there. Are you afraid of the ugly tears? Are you afraid of weeping so uncontrollably over the sin that you know you've committed and the way that you know that you've grieved the heart of God that you might not be able to come back from it, that that people won't actually love you, people who've been loved by God won't actually love you? What is the reason? Why do we hold on? Why do we cling to it? We go home and we come back week after week after week after week. This is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly, because it is a reminder to us that Jesus, well, Jesus walked perfectly in God's will for you and for me. So that the corruption that is rampant on the earth does not need to overtake us and, and rule our lives. And so that we can, yes, time and time and time again, come to this table where we eat bread that is representative of the blood of the the body of Jesus being broken for our sin and blood that we uh, juice that we drink representative that Jesus spilled his blood at Calvary for you for me and if that's your confession this morning please come eat and drink with us we have two stations up here two in the back one over here with gluten-free communion we just want to invite you to join and worship the Lord with us in this way but but let's not be casual let's not be wrote or mindlessly repetitious about what we do here this morning. If you need to confess sin, take time, confess sin right there. If you need someone to pray with you, it would be the honor of my life or any of our elders or a friend that you know here. Come, pray with them. But let's do business before the Lord. Let's stop denying the reality that 
Without God's grace acting upon us, every intent of the thought of our heart is only evil continually. Let's worship him this morning.